preaching is a funny thing because I stand here, um, especially when we're doing a series like through the book of John like we are currently, and uh, you get to passages and you don't necessarily get to pick what you preach, uh, but yet you are tasked as a pastor to practice what you preach because there's some authenticity, there's, you know, uh, if you don't practice what you preach, you're in trouble. So uh, I, I, I want to just say that I, I practice what I preach, what I'm about to preach, but just because I practice it does not mean I've perfected it. Um, I will share some, a story or two, but I want you to know it's not because I have arrived, but it's because I continue to travel with you as we become conformed and transformed into his image. We are in this series, the, the Book of Glory, which is the last half of the book of John. We started it just a few weeks ago after taking a long break, and we were in John chapter 13, where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples and sets off what we call the, the farewell discourse in the upper room. The book of signs is, is uh, what the first half of the book of John is, the book of glory. The second half is his death, resurrection. And uh, I've mentioned this before, but just a reminder Jesus' ministry in verses 1 through 12, that's about three, three and a half years. And then like these last few chapters that close out the last half of this book, that close out this book, about, about a week. And so we have this, this Jesus preparing his disciples for what it looks like to live and follow him, even though he's preparing them for his arrest, his crucifixion, his burial, and his ascension into heaven. So he's, he's saying, here is how you live and relate to me in the coming days. And if you've been with us since we began back into the book, uh, into, in, into chapter 13 and 14, you've seen that this whole thing has relationship. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15. We're, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna set it up here for a moment, but I, I want you to turn there because that's where we're gonna be. We're finally there. I know some of you are like, well, Jerome's been talking about John 15 since we've started in this whole series. I've been John, talking about John 15 since I became your pastor. I'm excited about this passage, this, this, this passage, and it may take another week. It will definitely take another week to get through what we're going to look at today. But the reason I want to, I want to discuss this is because, and the reason I gave the little caveat about I, I practice what I preach, it doesn't mean I've perfected it, is because sometimes when we, and if you know what's coming, it's the abide in me passage, remain in me passage. It's a relationship passage. Jesus says he's going to leave, and he gives a relationship he calls them their relationship. And there's times where I look at that call and I feel like, that sounds great, but I've tried that. That sounds great, but I don't know. That seems like a lot of hard work. That sounds great. I, I know what it was like to experience this close, intimate relationship with Jesus when I first came to him, but now it seems like maybe that's lost and maybe that's not what the adult, you know, maybe that's not the mature relationship with Jesus but I think Jesus is calling us to a relationship that is so far deeper than most of us experience, including your pastor. And just because it's not the norm doesn't mean it's not what we strive for. And even in saying the word strive for, I, I'm afraid that I'm about to mislead you. So let me backtrack and get to our passage. John chapter uh, 13, I mentioned Jesus wipes, washes his disciples' feet. He tells them he's about to leave. And then 14, we see they say, well, where are you going? And, he's, and they said, uh, he says, where I'm going, you can't come. They said, just show us the way. He goes, I am the way. You remember that passage from two weeks ago? Let me read you a really important verse that will apply to what we're about to read. John chapter 14, 9 through 10. 
Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Then this is in response to Philip saying, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. So Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus, throughout the book of John, in particular through the upper discourse, upper room discourse, the Pharaoh discourse, has been showing his relationship to the Father. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. There is a picture of a close, intimate communion between the Father and the Son. Would you agree? We've seen that through the book of John. My beautiful wife spoke last week for Mother's Day uh, in John chapter 14, the last half, which was the promise of the Holy Spirit. Again, let me read you a verse that applies and sets us up for where we're going to go. John chapter 14, verse 23. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and he will come and make, and we will come and make our home in each of them. This was the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's, he's talked quite extensively about his relationship with the Father, and now he's talking about his relationship with the disciples. And we will come and make our home in each of them. Remember the point last week that Heather spoke was, you can be confident that you're not alone, not because you have someone physical to hold on to, but because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. With that background, let's read our passage today. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he pr prunes the branches that do not bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great joy to my father. I have loved you even as the father has loved me. Remain in my love. For when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with, with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. No, you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Normally, when I read a passage, we're going to break that whole passage down, but I mentioned we're going to kind of take a few weeks, at least two weeks, to do this. But let me give you a little structure of what we just read. Verses one through eight, what we have is the metaphor, the vine and the branches metaphor, pretty, pretty obvious. We see it there. Many of us who grew up in church were very familiar with this. But then we look at verses nine through 16, which is really Jesus' commentary on the metaphor. He tells uh, kind of a pattern in Jesus' life. He tells a parable. The disciples say, what was that about? And he explains it. So he kind of, he adds to it, but he doesn't necessarily give all the same details. Um, and we're, we're not going to cover all of that today, but we're going to get to it. So you have the metaphor, then you have the commentary on the metaphor. 
in those last few, uh, that second part of that, of what we read, both sections, one through eight, nine through 16, speak of remaining. Section one, the first eight verses, remain in the vine, which Jesus says, I'm the vine, remain in Jesus. The second section, the commentary on the metaphor, remain in Jesus' love. Both sections show that fruitfulness is the goal and connects our fruitfulness to prayer. So I normally would just work through a passage. What we're going to do today is we're going to start to work through a passage, and I'm going to in it, and we're going to kind of dwell in one spot. We're going to remain. Uh, why didn't I put that in my notes? If you have your Bibles, we're in verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 15 I am the true grapevine. Stop. We're going to stop right there because I think it's important to say the heart of this passage is a focus on an intimate, transforming relationship with Jesus. But I have to say, we can't really talk about verse one without going back to something we've talked about throughout the book of John, which is this theme of replacement. You guys recall that throughout the book of John, we saw how Jesus replaces these different various things that are part of Israel's worship. He is or he brings new wine, a new temple, a new birth, new water, new worship, a new Moses. You remember all these early sermons in the book of John? Well, this passage is another example of that. He says, I am the true grapevine. You see, in the Old Testament, a vine was actually imagery that was used, a symbol that was used to describe Israel, God's people. They were a vine, and oftentimes they were a vine uh, it was the context of them being called a vine was a vine where they were failing to produce good fruit. So in contrast, Jesus says, I am the great, you know, like he replaces the temple and now he's replacing the vine. So there's some like nerdy theological doctrinal salvation, salvific, you know, doctrine here, but it's important to where we're going, but it's not the heart of this message. See what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the true vine, he's saying the location of God's people has shifted from the Old Testament Israel to those who are connected to me. These are God's people. I am the vine, and you who are in me are the branches. Tuck that away, because it's going to apply to our big idea in a moment, because it's related. I originally, honestly, kind of wrote that part of my message thinking, this is one of those, like, look how smart I am. I'm going to give you this piece of nugget, but it has nothing to do with anything else. But it actually does. It actually, it actually folds in. Verses two through three, we see the role of the father who is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so they will produce even more. So the gardener does two things. The father does two things. He cuts off and he prunes. Let's talk about those. Pruning. Pruning of the branches that are, that are bearing fruit so that they could, reduce, they could produce more fruit. Those of you who are gardeners or farmers or anything in between, um, you know about that. I only know about it in theory. But I think that's how it works, right? Yes. Now, can I just stop and say that this is an entire other sermon. Pruning hurts. I don't want to preach that sermon right now. What else does he do? He cuts off. If you grew up with your salvation and... I read this and it was terrifying. He cuts off those who don't produce fruit. You know how I read it? If you don't produce fruit, you're going to be cut off. I read it as, as uh, something that was prescriptive, not descriptive. So I kind of grew up with my salvation hanging by a thread. My salvation was dependent on my performance as a Christian. 
And so I came into a verse like this and it only kind of confirmed my fears. But the purpose of this verse is not to be prescriptive, produce fruit, or you're gonna get cut off. It's to describe if you are in Christ, you're going to produce fruit. And if you're not, you won't produce that fruit. If you're connected to the vine, there's no true Christian without some measure of fruit. It may be big, it may be small, it may look different, but some measure of fruit for true Christians. You read this part of the passage will color how you approach the rest of it. It will color certainly how, we, how you read the very next few verses. Let's keep going. Verse four. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch... Um, cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. The word remain there is what I just read in the New Living Translation. Some of you grew up with a different translation. I grew up with a different translation, but um, I like this. It reads easy, but can I be honest with you? Uh, well, let's talk about the word remain. But Just spoiler alert, I like the word abide. We'll get there. The Greek word for remain is meno. That's the root word. It shows up 118 times. John loves the word. He uses it 40 times in the Gospel of John, 24 times in 1 John. And so John loves the word, but it's used by Luke, Mark, Peter, the author of Hebrews. I mean, it's used throughout this, this idea of remain, abide. Now, early English translations use the word almost exclusively and pretty consistently that, that when, when Mino shows up in Greek, they would say, well, that means abide. We're going to say the word abide. But here's the problem. We don't use the word abide much in the English language any longer, do we? So modern translation, translations of English, it's all Greek to English. Well, the New Testament's all Greek to English. And we're, I'm thankful for that. We'll say, well, let's find some words that actually makes sense because this abide is old English. And when I say old English, I'm talking like old English with an O-L-D-E at the end English. So they say, let's update it. Remain, live, continue. This is how they translate this word. Stay joined, last, stay, walk, endure, and keep. Good intentions, not, nothing, not, nothing bad that they've done, but can I just, there's something about abide that's helpful in communicating the truth of this. Something about abide that describes what this passage is teaching. This passage is teaching that there is an intimate and transformational relationship with Christ that takes place through the dwelling presence of Christ. Set up by what we read last, last week, we will make a home in you. Notice he doesn't say, I'm going to abide with you or abide with me. He says, abide in me. There, there's a picture of intimacy there that I don't know that I can fully describe, so I'll move on. It's not abide with me, it's abide in me. We're going to talk about what that intimate transforming relationship looks like. But let me give you the big idea. If you walk away with nothing else today, let it be this, that as you abide in Christ, you align your daily experience with your eternal position. As you abide in Christ, you align your daily experience with your eternal position. You see, the moment you come to Christ, you are in Christ because of the new covenant, he has put you in him and you, your position is set. But your daily experience may not necessarily reflect your standing and your position in Christ. But abiding brings those two worlds together. We, are all, we all abide in Christ because we are all branches. If, you, if you're a Christian and you put your hope in Jesus and you've called him to be your savior, then 
then you are a branch. The question isn't whether you're a branch, it's whether you allow that branch to absorb the life of the vine. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this intimate transforming relationship. First of all, it's a living relationship. The, brass, the branch exists as a result of the work of the vine. It's so funny because I, I could write this sermon and be like, oh, I wish I could tell my like, 15-year-old Jerome that. Because I live so much of my Christian life thinking I have to do the work to stay attached to the vine. That's how I read this. I got to stay attached to the vine so that I could produce good work so I don't get cut off. No. Where does a, where does a branch, I, I don't know. We don't have vines out here. If we did, Jim Shiata would have cut them down. I'm just saying. Where does the branch come from? It doesn't appear and then the vine appears. It flows from the vine, correct? Is that how it works? All the farmers and gardeners say amen? I don't know. That's how it works. They told me that in Bible college and seminary. No, that's how it works. The branch exists as a result of the work of the vine. The life and the fruitfulness of the branch comes from the vine. The vine does the work. Our union with Jesus is not something we do. It's something he does. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter four, verse six. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. And then again in Romans chapter nine, chapter eight, nine through 11, when he's speaking about living by the spirit's power, he says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the spirit. If you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them, do not belong to him at all. For Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. Did you see a repeated theme right there? The spirit lives in you. Bringing last week's passage together with this. I understand if I quote someone too much in a sermon, I would be accused of plagiarism. So I'm going to give you it up, up front. Um, my study of this passage, uh, I have a Logos Bible software that uh, is a, a wonderful tool. Thanks to, anyways, that's a side note. Not cheap though. Some of the best scholars, some of the best resources for studying the Bible. And so what you've got so far comes from that. But where we're going, I have to be honest with you, leans heavily, not because of scholarly study. I'm not calling myself scholarly. The study of scholars. But it comes from my own personal walk with the Lord and resources that are given to me. Many of you know that I, I have a, a, a pastoral ministry resource. That's a fancy way of saying counselor. Uh, in Seattle that I go and visit periodically. And every time I go... We've gone for, I've gone for a number of different things that I was wrestling with, but it seems like every time I go, they give me the same stinking book. <laughs> so I have multiple copies of this, if you'd like one, and I'm actually making a book recommendation, like The Reading Rainbow, but you don't have to take my word for it. <laughs> Abide in Christ, or Abiding in Christ by Andrew Murray. Uh, this also reads like oldie English. Andrew Murray was a pre preacher from the 1800s, but he writes a masterpiece using this imagery, but it's, this is a 31-day devotional, and I can't tell you the difference it's made in my life. So I'm going to quote him 
and not plagiarize him because I want you to see the beauty of this imagery of the vine and the branches. When it comes to this idea that, um, uh, that there's a living relationship, how is it living? First of all, it's dependent. The vine and the branches are nothing without each other. Think about it. It sounds like blasphemy at first because it sounds like I just said Jesus is nothing without us. We are, we are nothing without him. We could accept that, but Jesus is nothing without us. Sounds like I said something wrong. Just stay with me. First of all, like we've covered above, the branch can do nothing without the vine. We see that from verse five. The life and the fruitfulness comes from the vine. We are the channel by which the life of the vine flows through us. The sap, the whatever nutrients are coming out of the ground flow through the vine, through us, so we can produce fruit and give it away. Andrew Mary says this about that. The believer can each day be pleasing to God only in that he does through the power of Christ dwelling in him. We can only be pleasing to God only in that which he does. See, this is that old English stuff, old with an E. The daily inflowing of the life sap of the Holy Spirit is the only power to bring forth fruit. He lives alone in him and is for each moment dependent on him. So the branch can do nothing without the vine, but at the same time, the vine can do nothing without the branch. This is not saying that Jesus is not able to do something, but this is saying that Jesus, the word is condescends. Not condescends like, you're so condescending, Jesus. That's the first definition of condescend, to assume an air of superiority. The other definition of condescend is to waive the privilege of rank, to descend to a less formal or dignified level. Jesus comes down and willingly puts himself in a place where he's dependent upon us. You see, the vine without the branches cannot bear fruit on the earth because that's what Jesus has chosen to do, to use his church, his people, to bear fruit in the world that we live in. Jesus has made himself dependent on us, his choice, but yet he's dependent on us. To this, my abide in me mentor, Andrew Murray, says this, without his disciples, he cannot dispense. You know this is not plagiarized because I would never talk like this if I, if I plagiarized it. He'd be like, that's not Jerome. Without his disciples, he cannot dispense his blessing to the world. He cannot offer sinners the grapes of the heavenly Canaan. Who talks like that? That that as indispensable as he is to them in heaven, that from him their fruit may be found, so indispensable are they to him on earth that through them his fruit may be found. There is a relationship where there's a dependence. That's We'll talk about it here in a moment. I'm gonna get there. But the vine relationship that exists that's transformative and intimate is also a giving relationship. The vine does not exist for itself. It exists for the branches. Think about it. The the vine gathers nutrients from the soil, not so that it could be big and fat, but so that it could pass the fatness on to the branches. The vine gets the glory when the fruit is produced because the vine's the one doing the work, but we are the branches through whom he does the work. This is the most beautiful quote from Andrew Murray. So this is my last one, I promise. We're like, we should just listen to Andrew Murray tapes and not have Jerome preach. All right, here we go. All his fullness and all his riches are for thee. O believer, for the vine does not live for itself. Keep nothing for itself. 
but exist only for the branches. All that Jesus is in heaven, he is for us. He has no interest there separate from ours. As our representative, he stands before the Father. The vine does not exist for itself, but neither does the branch exist for itself. It exists for the vine. The goal, the existence that we have as branches is to bear fruit, although he's doing the work as the vine. As you abide in Christ, you align your daily experience with your eternal position. We talked about eternal position in the first few verses. He's the true grapevine. He's the replacement. God's people are found in him. And so we are in him and we abide in him positionally, but experientially, it comes when we abide. So what is it that I want to give you as a takeaway today? Because we have more to do. First one is this. Just this week, take some time and read this passage and meditate on this. Like, it's a weird thing because I could say, here's what it means and here's how you should live, but it, it's just action points from a pastor unless it kind of sinks down. And hearing something for one time or two time, or some of us have been in church a long time, but hearing something in this setting hits differently than when you sit and you meditate and you dwell on this. If nothing else, in preparation for next week, meditate on this passage, because I believe when you meditate on this passage, it becomes a guide toward an intimate and transformational relationship with Jesus. The other day, I was driving down Cary Road, and I was thinking of some relationships in my life that, um, that I, well, in particular, one that I'm going to renew uh, just, I'm going to see somebody in the future, in a couple months. Uh, and I was thinking about kind of maybe how that person hurt me, or at least how I perceived it as hurt. And I began to entertain the idea of like, boy, wouldn't it be great if I could just act how I want to? Wouldn't that just be satisfying to be a jerk? Let's be honest, guys. It we have to fight the, that temptation to, for satisfaction. Wouldn't it just be great? I just want to, oh, just once. Can I be my real self around this person? Can I really tell them how I feel? Can I just ignore them and, and that tell them how I, I mean, like, I just entertain this thought. And then I guess the church was coming up on the horizon. <laughs> And then I had a thought. And I like to say that, like, it's funny because I've come to this part of this illustration and I've, I've thought, I worked it out both ways. And then I had a thought. Or, and then I heard the Lord. I don't know that I could differentiate it. Not that I'm the Lord. But if I'm abiding in him and his spirit's in me, if he's one with the Father, and we are one with him. I mean, boy, I don't know. I'm driving along. The church comes in the, on the scene. And I say to myself, wow, Jerome, you're, you're angry. Where did this come from? And immediately, I guess because I'm preaching on this, but I like to say I do this all the time. Immediately, the thought occurred to me. Abide in me. See, it's hard to abide in him 
and entertain and indulge in those thoughts of just telling that person what I think. It's hard. It's hard to entertain the thoughts to do something or be something that is counter to who God has called us to be. I, I would use the illustration of my wife and I. If my wife, who's not intimately, or, well, I got to back up from there. <laughs> if my wife, who is not joined with me like Christ is joined with me, but stands next to me, I guarantee you I'm not checking out the girl who walks by. Not that I check out the girl who walks by, but I'm just saying my eyes are not wandering, right? She's just standing next to me. How much harder is it if we're really abiding and there's a real presence? We're living with this presence of God and there's like this awareness. I mean, he's always present, but there's an awareness. more motivation to my wife, because here's the deal. The sin isn't really about what I do. It's really about my condition of my heart. It's really about the thoughts and the intentions. You, my wife doesn't see half the sin I do. None of it has to do with looking at girls, though. Just want you to know that, babe. You're the only girl for me. Let me give you a little tip in, in terms of meditating on this metaphor, something that I've found helpful in my own life and... Um, how much do we go through the day just living life like what I see is the reality of life and I know God's up there, but we don't live with that sense of presence? Catch yourself when your thoughts wander. Catch yourself and just say, these little prayers, they just bring you back into alignment. Lord, I abide in you. Lord, I abide you. When, that, when, that, when the urge or the temptation or to, to indulge in, in whatever it is, that anger, that jealousy, the competitiveness, Lord, I abide in you. It's hard. See, I'm kind of convinced that we, I think it's a beautiful, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing when we tell each other, you know what, no one's perfect. We all sin, we're all human. True. We're born into sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. We still have a sin issue. That is true. We talked about that with the boxes. I think it's a beautiful thing to say we're just human. But I don't know that if we sin because, I don't know if we're sinning because we're human as much as when we have been freed from sin, are we sinning more because we're just not abiding in him? Sinning because we're human kind of almost gives us a little bit of an excuse. But sinning because we fail to abide, because we fail to live with a sense of his presence at least that's how I think I sin. See, when you meditate on this metaphor, something begins to click, and there's some power behind it for our living. It's like Jesus saying, think about it. I completely belong to you. I have joined myself to you. All of me is yours. All I have is yours. It is my idea and my initiative that you are a branch and I'll do the work. You are weak, but I am strong. You are poor, but I am rich. Just abide in me. Yield yourself to my life in you and you will bear fruit. Because I am the vine and you are the branches. Second thing and the final thing, and we're going to close. 
this is, I love this one. Be here next week because I'm the pastor and they check attendance on me. No, they don't. That's not how it works. Be here next week because I really feel like we just introduced this idea. We're just now talking about this beautiful, intimate, transformational relationship where there's close communion with Jesus as we live our life. But guess what? If I was sitting where you were sitting, here's what I'm thinking. That seems like, that seems really cool, but that seems like something that like really spiritual people do. That's like Gary Sobel territory. I'm sorry, Gary, I have to pick on you. I'm just saying, I, I, if, if I'm hearing this idea of this relationship with Jesus that's close, I'm living with the presence of God. I, yeah, that's ideal, but I don't think that's me because I'm too weak for that. I've tried that and I failed. You know what? I think I had that when I first became a Christian, but guess what? It's not there right now. And I, Lord, forgive me. I've called that maturity. I've called that spiritual maturity. I don't have this sense of his presence, but you know what? That's because I'm mature. Oh. I, don't, I did tell you I practiced it, but I have not perfected it. If you've once enjoyed such intimacy and you know what it feels like, but you feel like you've lost it, if you feel like you're not strong enough to even dare to try to go after what it means to abide, be here next week. If you're weary from your attempts to abide, let me encourage you. Next week, we're going to talk about how it is in abiding that there is joy for the joyless and rest for the restless. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for We thank you for your word to us. Your idea to reveal yourself through human history. We have these gospel writers who kind of describe for us, recount for us the life and ministry of Jesus. We see what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus. But not just a follower, in this passage, we see what it means to be united, to be joined together. That you've done the work and you continue to do the work. The truth is there are still questions to be answered regarding this passage, regarding this imagery. But yet, Lord, I pray that this week as we look forward to next week, God, that you would make us hungry, that you would stir in us a desire to walk with a greater sense of presence for those who feel like it's just been a while. God, would you bring a restoration to that? May we hunger and thirst, Lord, like we once did. Would you do a renewing work? In Jesus' name, amen.